Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more. You know, I want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night. And just Jeff. Dogs don't lay eggs, (laughs) I hate you so much. Talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting. So if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers, actors, prioritized their mental health, became entrepreneurs, avoided burnout, or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt, available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. Welcome, Tommy Angel, to the show. This is Rick Del Santo, and I'm very happy to have you here. How's it going? Hey, Rick. I appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited talking to somebody that I grew up watching on television. Uh, you know, I want to know how you uh, – one of my first questions I always ask everybody is because it's uh, – everybody has a different story about how they got into professional wrestling. Uh, I'm always interested. How did you discover and get interested in professional wrestling, whether it be a kid or whatnot? Uh, the first time I, I saw wrestling on TV, I think I was about, I think it was 15, almost 16. I just started lifting weights and I saw this cat on television wrestling Hulk Hogan when he had his hair, chest hair shaped like a tornado or hurricane or whatever. <laughs> I remember that. So, dude, yeah. that guy's crazy. What is he doing? And, I started lifting us at the time when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was really big and Lou Ferrigno was the Hulk. And um, I just wanted to get big of that, that Christmas. My parents asked me, what do you want to say? I want a set of weights or I want a guitar and I got weights. So that's kind of the trajectory of my life was based off that Christmas, I think. Um, so I went in the military right out of high school. I was 17. I went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, 82nd airborne paratroopers and you're in tip top shape. And, um, I met a couple of guys that lived in my barracks that were huge. I'm like, dude, I've been working out for a couple of years. I can't even get that mass. And like, they just stand office for a while. And they finally let me in there in a circle and told me where they were training. And basically told me we're, we're taking steroids, but you can't tell anybody. But I want my weight point from about 200 to about 260. Wow. And I could barely fit in the parachutes. And they put me on uh, the Weight Watchers thing. They didn't call it that back then. But my body mass index was like four percent but I, I was height weight i was just too big so they'd send me to the one child hall to eat salads and all this stuff and i just walked to the next child hall and eat pizza and everything else i was just <laughs> much as i could eat i'd grow <laughs> and we, we were watching wrestling on the weekends i was like that would be the coolest job ever i want to do that and it was after four years that i committed to i was that they always try to get you re-enlist and i thought well my options are i can go to warrant officer school and be a helicopter pilot or I can be a professional wrestler. They got chicks. Looks like they got lots of money. I want to do that. And my dad's, a, <coughs> excuse me, a, a career military man at that time. He was a colonel in the Marine Corps. And he, he said, you know, you should reenlist. You know, when you retire, you'll be probably 40 
two years old and you can get another job, you'll be double dipping. No, dad, I got it all figured out. And so uh, it took me about nine months, but me and a friend of mine were working out in, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which Fort Bragg is. And uh, a couple guys, we'd always go down to Cumberland County Arena and harass them when the NWA came out. We want to be in their business, brother, Eddie. We, we're huge. And Don Cornell and everybody just kept blowing us off. And finally, when we were there so often, Don Cornell goes, hey, I, I can tell you guys are serious. I'll tell you, there's a new school going to open up in uh, Mooresville, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. And it's for the NWA. <coughs> I'll give you the, the guy's name. So we found out when the trout was. We drove from Fayetteville to Mooresville and Nelson Royal and Gene Anderson. We were going to launch that school. A $200 tryout, non-refundable. And Nelson has a Western store. He's got on his property. He's got a, a barn. They used to do rodeos there, and, but it's very hilly. And we did all kinds of, it was like reality TV. You know, we're running up and down the hill. Italian Stein was there. He was there just to help him with us. But, you know, like put Stein on your back and run up a hill as far as you can go before you died. And then it wear you out doing all these drills. And, and then you get in the ring. And, out of all the guys, I'm pretty sure I was in the best shape just because of military and all that <coughs> weightlifting I did. And he, he kept trying to stretch me, and I wouldn't let him stretch me. And I could tell he was getting pissed off. And Nelson <laughs> and Gene made us go outside and came back in. He said, all right. He pointed all the guys that were into the school. It was like $3,200. And I was one of eight or nine guys. And the whole purpose was Crockett went to Nelson and Gene said, we need to get a new level of talent for television. Our, our programming is awful. We, we do focus groups and fans are tired of seeing guys just come out. They know as soon as they come in the ring, they get squashed. So right. they treated us for four months, <clears throat> how to work, you know, the psychology of the business. And we were obviously very green the first time we went on television, but over time it took about a year, but we built up a lot of trust with the boys and, you know, they, they knew that we could work and they'd give us little opportunities here and there. And as we grew, those opportunities became bigger, but, and then, Eventually, some of the house shows we did back in 87, they were putting us over just in local house shows, just give us some credibility, some went on TV. So for me, I was 23, 24 years old. I'm thinking, man, I told my family, I'll be on, be on TV in about four months. They're like, yeah, whatever. And the Army's like, yeah, you'd be calling us. You'll be wanting to come back in the re-enlist. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, but Nelson and Gene were fabulous. You know, Nelson was a nine-time junior heavyweight champion at the time. Yeah. Gene was with the wrecking crew and he's a heel. So we had a perspective of a baby face and a heel teaching us the psychology of the business, how it worked. And um, it was, it was amazing. It would take us to shows when, when Nelson would work and he'd just tell us to sit in the, in the audience and watch and observe. And on the way back, he, you know, he just quiz us. What did you learn? What did you see? You know why this guy did that and all this stuff. So it was, it was just super fun. And we, I actually ended up moving from Fayetteville to Mooresville, live on Nelson's ranch in a trailer and we worked out all the time and that was probably the most beneficial And the next class started coming in the next class. So he'd allow us to work out with these guys and it just reinforced what we knew. And it was just a, a huge passion, man. It was, I, I lived and breathed it for eight years. Wow. That's it. You were only in the business for eight years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Why does it seem so, like it was so much longer? To me? <laughs> my airline was going as fast as my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> Um, I saw that you had your very first match at the Techwood Studios against Baron Von Rashka. Yep. Yeah, they brought that? him out. I thought to myself, you're kidding me. I got to wrestle Elmer Fudd. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a cocky 24-year-old kid, just all gassed up. I'm like, 
and I got to go out there and make this guy look good. But Nelson told us that the purpose of the business and our role is to go out there and <coughs> make these guys look like champions, no matter what we thought. And, you know, so I went out there and did my best. He was already at that point. He's a, he's a wonderful young a man. And, you know, a couple of times when you're, you're running the ropes, you're doing tackles and stuff. And I could tell I almost came off his feet. So I'm trying to be gentle at the same time, but make it look like he's beating me up. And the second match that same day was the Rock and Roll Express. That was more fun. Yeah. Fast paced and been uh, no, I'm, this is probably a weird question, but um, did you know it was work right away? Because I know I hear stories about guys training and then they don't <laughs> find out maybe until they're in the they, locker they gave, room. They gave yeah. us for three and a half yeah. months because we're going, all right, when, when are they going to let us know? So we'd ask Nelson, all right, come on now. You know, it's real, son. You And Gene would get in there and put this move called the sugar on whoever questioned it. And that hurt more than anything. It's like, I'm not asking you asking, Ooh. but after what, right before we were about two weeks before we went on our first television taping that you mentioned, you said, all right, here's, here's how the business works, boys. We, we taught you the fundamentals. <coughs> um, so, but understand it's the, the, the greatest thing I think is lost to me when you watch the business today is when you sit in an audience, you can see the, the good versus evil, the, the emotions go up and down. Mm-hmm. And that's how these, these, these guys from that era were, were, technicians as far as how to draw the people into the story calm them down you know you get a baby face could come back the crowd goes up and the heel stops them and you can actually see and feel that that energy and it's powerful right um, but when you're doing tv at techwood drive it's you know you got about 30 40 people but it's fast paced and it's, it was all pipe and drape which is interesting to me because we're sitting literally on the side of a curtain and you can hear the guys you know almost breathing Sometimes, a couple times, the guys went out the, the side of the ring. They weren't supposed to go out <coughs> through the chairs, and the curtain will move around. And you can almost see the guys sitting back there on their chairs. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was my next question? Jeez. Uh, I'll think about it. Uh, well, I mean, I interviewed Mario Mancini before. I'm sure you remember him. Uh, yep. He spent time in WWF. He was saying he didn't find out that the business was a work until he was literally in the locker room that day and he had to wrestle David Schultz. So, so which I, I thought I was really because, funny. I mean, it was, it was serious business to protect the business back then. And yeah. I found myself in a little bit of trouble from dating a girl who, who knew a couple of boys in the business and me being a young guy trying to impress her was saying things that probably shouldn't have. And I was warned yeah. that, you know, this is, you want to be in this business, you keep your mouth shut kid. Yeah. So um, what else did you, uh, I'm trying to think of. So, so you started working some house shows and stuff like that around that era. area. Um, yeah, it was back when NWA, yeah. it was 86 yeah. when I got in there. It was kind of like their, their heyday. It's, yeah. It sounds cliche, but it truly was at the, the peak of its business. We hit it at the perfect yeah. time. Television was hot. And they were selling out every house they went to. Every television taping was full. Um, <laughs> but we went to, I think, yeah, the first time I got a, they told me I was having a house match. We were doing TV in Atlanta. And that night we had to be in Norfolk. I said, can you guys be in Norfolk tonight? And not even doing the the mileage in our head. I'm like, yes, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> okay, we're going to, the show's at seven, you know, and you're going over Angel, you're the first match with, I remember who it was, just another guy that was mid-card, like a Rocky King. Yeah. Uh, so you're going over. I'm like, really? And they're like, Relaxed kid, it's a work. I'm like, I know. I was just excited. <laughs> we, it's, it's the be, right? like, we have to leave Atlanta right now 
and drive our balls off to get up there because we'll make it, you know, like 30 minutes before the show starts because all yeah. them guys were catching flights. But I didn't yeah. care. I was like, let's go. And they're like, okay, the next day we're going to be in Cleveland. Can you guys make that shot? We're like, okay. So we drive all the way back to where we live and then back up to Cleveland. But it was at that age and that time, it was so exciting. You know, we didn't care. What was it like working with uh, Rocky King? He's, he's a fabulous worker, just fun. Everybody loved him, all the boys, top guys, especially. You know, yeah. he, he was a, a good hand, is what they call you. Yeah. And uh, they'd always, but he was, he was beloved. Yeah. One of the things is that um, I want to ask you about Arn Anderson. He's mentioned you on his podcast recently, uh, or somewhat recently. And I know that when him and Tully went to WWF, that they wanted specifically to work with you because they thought that you, uh, you know, you were very good at what you do. So what was it like working with those two guys? I mean, those, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you right now. That was my favorite tag team of all time. So. Yeah. They're the, those two guys are exceptional human beings. And they, that took, you know, they knew when we came in, we were green. They came from Nelson and Gene. And so yeah. after the match, they they'd critique us and they, you know, they, they were pretty, pretty hard on us, but they were, it was for good reason. We, we welcomed it. But um, when, there was like once it was basically an exodus. Everybody's going up to WWF. And at the same time, Vince had called Nelson. So look, we're, we're trying to expand on TV. Your guys are awesome, but we'd like to get them up on our, our thing. And Nelson asked us, say, look, you boys want to go to WWF. And for me, that was like, that was the, the place to be. I was like, yes. right. he said, but you might not be welcome back in a WCW NWA. Uh, I said, it's worth it to me. Because yeah. in 80, I think it was eight beginning of eighty eight we went up there probably, but that's when Andre had just finished doing the Princess Bride movie. Princess mm-hmm. Bride. Jesse Ventura just finished the Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kerry Von Eric was the guy that I I wanted to be like. I saw him on TV in, in Texas. And those three guys were in the, the locker room we went the first day. I'm like, you I was just like a little kid. And my friends are like, Stop staring, you stupid. <laughs> this is great. We're here. We need it. So, what was the uh, outside of that? What was the like the difference? Like, obviously, you said it's. I think it was pretty much everybody's dream from maybe the eighties on to that is the goal: WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, yeah, the, I mean, the, the t- for for our level was job guys, enhancement talent, champion yeah. makers. I've we've been called everything, but um, <laughs> we were paid per. For TV, $150 mm-hmm. NWA. Vince increased that. They never fed you the NWA. There was a buffet of food when you went to do television because it's a, you're taping three or four, usually four weeks in a row and came four in a can. You're doing a whole month in one day. But he had yeah. food all day long. I'm like, this is great. They flew us up there. They gave us per diem money. So we were treated like, you know, stars, even yeah. though we were. But the, the most impactful thing I, I took away from that first trip is that Vince saw us walking in and it was George South, me and David Eisen, a couple of the guys. And he's, he's like, Hey George, Hey Tommy, David, thank you for coming up here. We really appreciate you guys want, willing to work. I'm like, after it was over, like that guy knows our name. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, right. When Arn and Tully got up there, I remember seeing him in the locker room and when, I can't remember what town they were in, but um it's like, we're so glad to see you guys. We're hopeful they'll match us up with you guys because we've worked with you before. So you know how we work. And and he, they knew we'd put them over like champions, you know, let them do whatever they needed to do and do it right. very crisp. And uh, they found out we had the match. It was me and Bob Emery. 
and Arn said, man, thank God. We're so, so happy we got you guys. He said, hey, we're going to crush you. I said, that's our job, but that's our role. Let's, let's go out there and do it well. And uh, they got a big pop because he said they're all up. When they came in the dressing room, all the tag teams were like, wait a second. You got the Rougeos, you got the Bulldogs. All of a sudden, there's just, just a bunch of tag teams in the air, the, air, the pride, and the, hey, who are you guys? And he said, we had to come in and make a statement. You guys help with that. So they, they did their own thing, but they were strong. And Bobby Heenan, their manager, was awesome. That was a great pair. I mean, um, at that time, WWF had such an awesome tag team division, right? I mean, so many great teams there. Did you team with Rusty Riddle there, if I remember correctly? Probably so. I he was uh, I actually lived with him for for a while. Yeah. Um, but uh, we done. I think we tagged a few times in WWF as well yeah. as NWA, WCW, all stuff. But yeah. I still Rusty lives. I'm in Greer, South Carolina, and he lives in Travelers Rest, which is like ten minutes away. Yeah. We didn't realize it for a couple of years that he's been like that close, and we we hooked up recently, so it's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I remember seeing him, like I said, I mentioned before we went on air, South Atlantic Pro, and uh, I remember seeing him in there and then one day seeing him on WWE TV. I was like, what's going on here? Like, you know, I was like very excited to see that guy on my television. uh, Nelson had opened up uh, Atlantic Coast Wrestling the same time. Yeah. Right around the same time we got to go to WWF and, um, you know, he said, we're going to put you guys over. So I, I really don't want you on TV that much with them, but I know you need to make money. So, Rusty was right. part of ACW, and around that same time, about a year into it, Ken Shamrock was living there with us and working out. <clears throat> and he, uh, about the same time, he he wanted to go to uh, the first UFC thing when he got voice mm-hmm. crazy and all that. So he he took a different trajectory, but he went to South Atlantic first as Vince Torelli. Yep, My I remember that. Tommy Siebold, I don't know if you remember seeing him. I do remember. I remember you guys were uh, TNT at the time, correct? Yep, yep. yep. I uh, love that guy to death. He just passed away uh, last year. Yeah. But, uh, got a great family, and uh, what a legacy he left. But he was a he was a former cop. I'm a former airborne. So we had the same mindset. You know, police and military are wired the same. So we clicked, and Nelson saw that, and it just worked out as far as a tag team. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, um, you guys ended up uh, capturing the tag team titles there as well. From uh, did you win it from the the German troopers or the stormtroopers? Or is yeah, my right? yep. Chuck Coates and Chuck Smith. Yep. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I liked um, I liked the helmet Hessler character a lot back in the that's day. My buddy, he was he's special forces at Fort Bragg. Uh, Chuck Smith, and uh, he's he he did the whole. Uh, Yes, this is good. Yes, we will crush you, you puny Americans. That's all. No, he was really good. I remember watching him in uh, Herb Abrams' UWF. I know you you ended up skipping up there as well, didn't you? In UWF? Yeah, I think I did uh, five or six well, matches. I know I did Paul Orndorff and Barry Horowitz. Yeah. Um, those two, two tapings I did with him. What do you think about working with Barry Horowitz? I, uh, he's actually the first guest I ever had here on the podcast three years he's, ago, and I have to say uh, it was probably – yeah, he's awesome. He's he is such a fun guy to be around, and he's a technician. He's all his moves are real, and but um, he's real, and you know that gimmick's perfect. I mean, he just yeah, probably wrestled him a handful of times, but every time was a fun. Like yeah, he wore a watch. It'd be he'd be talking real fast. Hey Rick, hold on, I gotta take my vitamins. My my thing went off. Hold on, I'll be right back. He'd take his vitamins. Okay, so where were we talking about? 
<laughs> he just got a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you this kind of a rare, kind of a rare name from South Atlantic Pro, which I don't ever know whatever really happened to this guy. Um, I've only seen a handful of matches there. I've seen a handful of matches in Japan and nothing else. But do you remember anything about Greg Bobchick at all? Oh yeah, he's uh, yeah. he was Chuck Smith's good friend from Michigan, and uh, oh yeah, he came down. He was a power lifter, bodybuilder, and we all lived together in a, a house, a bunch of single lady wrestlers. We call it the Rhino Ranch. You know, we'd train together, eat together, and um, <coughs> he got a he could have got a push, I think. But um, excuse me. Yep. He uh he had to move back from Michigan. I want to say it was something with his family. And, okay. Um, Chuck still talks to him, but I've, I haven't seen or talked to him in years. But yeah, he's he's a good fella. Yeah, uh, out of the matches that I've seen from him, like he had all the potential in the world, and it just kind of very short lived, you know what I mean? Uh, career. So I was always like wondering. My buddy Bob Emery that wrestled in the, Remember the him, first yeah. match with Tully and Arn, and he just he wasn't consistent enough on the pay. And he's originally from Ohio, and he he moved back home, back home, and he's running. Those, he's like one of those fitness trainers, cross trainers. He looks fantastic. You know, me and him are yeah. both just about to be 60, and he looks unbelievable, <clears throat> but he's got a, a large family. He looks very happy. sounds happy when I talk to him. It's just the back then, the consistency of how much money can I, I live off of. And if you're, you're right. single, you can kind of gut out those times that are hard, you know, TV tapings are not a lot of money, but we're hanging on for that. One day we're going to get this big break. I always thought that you – probably should have deserved a break. I mean, honestly, in my opinion, you had the look and I thought you were, you know, like I said, you had the look and I thought that you were actually very good in the ring. I mean, you had a trading card made of yourself for those uh, 1987 NWA Wonderama cards uh, you had. Well, so. well, thank you for your kind words. <laughs> actually, I had so. three cards. Can you believe that? Did you? No, it's, really. <laughs> it was, because um, we were green. We, I mean, really, literally just started TV and that Wonderama was the company and the if the cards were sequential, one through 800 or whatever. Yeah. And Ric Flair was number one, but one of my cards was number two. And, and some of the boys, are, well, how'd you get number two? I'm like, dude, I didn't even know I was getting these things. This is crazy. We were doing a television at Winthrop Coliseum down in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And we had to line up and I said, they're going to take some photos, you guys. Just be patient. So we took all these photos doing all the standing there. <laughs> yeah. In the uh, wrestling poses, yeah. Yeah, and next thing you know, I had three cards, and some of the main guys only got two. But I have no idea why, but it's a blessing. And my son, I have a son who's 16 now, and for a long time, he didn't believe me that I wrestled. <laughs> You're too fat and old. you never be a wrestler. I said, yeah, I got wrestling cards. He goes, that's not you. And one day, <laughs> he put two and two together. I got my military tattoo on my left bicep, and he was looking at it one day. He's like, I guess it was you, Dad. <laughs> Did you ever show him videos at all? Ever? Yeah, yeah. And after that, I did because at first he didn't believe me, but he's he gets to laugh. He tells his friends, and they're like, "Oh yeah, my dad's not just fat and old. He used to be cool." <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so you ended up back in then the WCW, I guess, in nineteen ninety three, and it seems like you had a bunch of wins on like dark matches and stuff. So I guess you win. Uh, was it Mike Winner defeated Chick Donovan and Rip Rogers? Do you remember this at all? Yeah, it's yeah. it comes they, back. I mean, there's in eight years. There's a lot of stuff I did, um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a blessing. Anytime they said they would 
go over, but in house matches too back then, the the, the best part was those matches were TVs like three four minutes. House matches, yeah. I'll tell you, some matches. Gay kid, twenty minutes. I do Nelson up in the Tennessee, one of the ones that Jim Cornett was at, and he wanted to do a match. I had to go 35, 40 minutes, and Nelson said, "If, if I can do it, son, you better be able to keep up with me." And, and that's what it conditioned us for is to to be able to go that long. Because I had one one tour of Japan in '92 was the absolute best time of my life. But those matches with those guys are always 30, 40 minutes long. Sometimes they're shorter, but if you don't have yeah. you're not in cardio shape, you will blow up. What was it like in uh, Japan outside of that? I mean, uh, it's a kind of a harder style, I guess. I guess more stiff, as you would say, uh, as some would say. So yeah, great. they call it snug. Watch out, yeah. snug. Because they're all most of them are ex sumos, but man, you, you go into these buildings sold out, and they have the, they throw the streamers down. Like Stan Hansen, he was like the, the man. So when he go out to a match, it would be like ten minutes of just raining streamers. And I remember I went out on like the third or fourth day of that week. And wrestled in one of the medium-sized houses, and some few people threw some streamers. Like that's pretty cool. I got some streamers. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and obviously, in 1987, was uh, Bill Watts UWF was merged with Crockett Promotions, if you remember. Yep. Uh, and you got a match, a championship match, the UWF title against Terry Taylor. So, what do you remember about this? I love Terry. He, he wasn't afraid to let me try stuff because he trusted me, but he was just a lot of fun to be in the ring with. He was always cutting j jokes and I was trying to crack up because he's, he's just very fluid, just a, an outstanding worker. Um, but he, he tried to make me shine as much as I tried to make him shine. And he was just a good heel, I thought. I think he was good. I mean, in any position that you would put him in, really. I mean, he was very good as a baby face, but... Um, he would also be like a very good arrogant heel as well, you know. So it's like he could sell it either way. Oh yeah, and yeah. people love to hate that guy because he's good looking <laughs> and he didn't just have that. He could do that move, and people were like, "Boo, suck." Yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna ask you about some random matches here, if you don't mind. So yeah, there are random guys you worked with. Uh, what about Captain Mike Rotunda? Mike is a he's a gem. He's a a true collegiate wrestler, but just a an outstanding guy. He's, he was always very helpful to give advice when we asked asked him, "Hey, how, you know, can you critique? Can, uh, tell us how we did, you know, just critique us." And he's like, "Sure." And uh, but he was just he's just a nice guy. But business, he's all business in the ring. Yeah. And he could I remember one time he got mad at one of the jobbers on our side. I can't remember what what happened, but he just punched him in the face and knocked him down. I was like, "What?" Mild mannered Mike. It must take a lot to really get him going. Uh, what about Dr. Death Steve Williams? He was a man, he was a freight train. He was one of the I, I was tagged up with Danny Spivey in Japan, so it was always against Terry Gordy and Steve oh, Williams. Man, and must have been brutal. Oh yeah. In the <laughs> but he's just a fun guy to be around, but just he's snug too, because he's just such a big guy. And then one of the matches we had in Japan, he's like, okay, I'm going to throw you in the corner and put your foot up and give me the boot. And I put my foot up and you're, the whole I just let your leg relax so you're not ki actually kick him in the face. And he yeah. ran in so hard into my foot and my knee hit my nose. We both had bloody noses and he got mad. He goes, stiff. He's kept grabbing me and stiff and he picked me upside down, ran me across the ring and hit me in the turnbuckle. I 
my hip hurts so bad. And after match, he goes, I'm sorry, kid, but you stiff. I'm like, and Terry goes, brother, you ran him over. He had nothing else to do, but look at him. He broke his nose too. <laughs> but I, I flew back in, uh, from Japan. That's a 12-hour flight, and it's just killing me. I'm just taking ibuprofen and drinking cocktails. And I, I go to see my chiropractor. He's like, lay on the table. And he's looking at me. He goes, hmm, hmm. And he, he twists me. All of a sudden, pow. It's like, what the? He goes, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. He goes, your, your hip's been dislocated. When did this happen? I said, I don't know, like three or four days ago in Japan. He goes, I don't know how you're walking around. I go, I don't either. Wow. But he was so mad. I mean, he, was, he picked me up. I felt like a little kid, and he ran across the ring and just shoved me in the turnbuckle. And the place popped, though, that all the Japanese fans are like, whoa. <laughs> he was completely uh, completely over in Japan. They were probably one of the oh, top yeah. tag teams of their era, of that era in, in Japan. Oh yeah, they were. Yeah. He just he just had that look, man, Mountain Dean kind of look, this big beard and just burly. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what about working with the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane? Oh, love them guys, sweet, sweet Bobby. Man, we lost them last year. Um, yeah. Actually, the first match I had with them was Dennis Condry. Oh really? Bobby, and then when Stan came in, and Stan lived <clears throat> not far from where we had our little Rhino Ranch, so we. We found out he'd hang out this one club in Charlotte, and he realized we weren't goofballs, so he'd come over and hang out with us a little pre-time before we go to the club. And he's like, once we were there, he goes, it's, it's, let me let me do my thing. We stay away, but um, just a fun guy. But they're very both serious about the business. And Jim Cornette is the best wrestling mind there is to me. I'm and, uh, 100% with you on that one. I'm a huge fan of his. But he's, he started that little song. Yeah. That's what put me on the radar because everywhere yeah. I went, he would say it, and then fans finally just started singing it. So he, he gave me street cred. You know, and I think that's <coughs> I, I took a couple of tennis rackets for him because of it. So that, those were stiff. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to ask you a few more, really. Uh, what about Al Perez, Larry Zabisco? Both both yeah. great guys. Al, yeah. Al Perez was, you know, obviously had that physique, but just. Very smooth, very fluid, very light to work with. Zabisco, man, he's a he's a machine. He can wrestle. He'd be yeah. back in the locker room smoking like, okay, kid, we're on next. You ready? I'm like, are you? But uh, he can go. He can talk. He does great interviews. Um, just a fun fun to be around. I thought he did great interviews. Uh, did you ever see when he won the AWA World Title? He just did this amazing promo after as bill bill after was interviewing him so it was just awesome so. one of the classics yeah yeah uh another great tag team uh the fantastics bobby fulton tommy rogers oh gosh yeah we they were over in japan with us and we worked a lot with them in the nwa and we, i think we lost tommy four or five years ago yep. um, i still see bobby occasionally they have those wrestling reunion things and uh talk to him and he's he's been a couple of bouts with cancer and he's overcome he's uh you know he's a fighter but they're both just excellent and they, they were over in japan you talk about baby faces everything they did the crowd was, oh, oh. Um, but so they gave us me and <coughs> spivey obviously he's over but they gave us a lot in that match one of the matches we had in japan that was actually recorded but uh great workers their timing was perfect i mean it just they were so well in sync with each other. 
I thought Tommy was great. Uh, Bobby's probably one of the nicest people in the world. I mean, Absolutely. literally, you know, I, I, I speak with him online every now and again. He's uh, like I said, he does like a live feed or whatever. And, you know, the current NWA brings him in every so often as a guest and stuff like that. So it's really great to see him on TV, you know, with that. Absolutely. Do you watch wrestling at all today? I know a lot of guys don't anymore. So rarely like uh, David Isley, one of the guys I was in the business with. We just had yeah. dinner the other night. He lives here in town. Um, but he, he'll talk about stuff and we're like, or a match coming up, we'll watch it. Or, um, back when we still had friends that were in the office, WWE, when they come to town, we, we go down to the building, but those, all those people have since moved on or whatever, but every yeah. once in a while, but most of our, my son doesn't even watch it. I was like, it's, he's not impressed with it. Well, my son did. And that's kind of how I got <laughs> back, in, back into it. Cause I had, uh, I was married to my first wife. I kind of lost interest. And then, uh, met my second wife and her son, my stepson, was really into it at the time. So I probably, you know, was out of it for like five years. And then now he just has nothing to do with it. He does not care what whatsoever. <laughs> now I just watch it a lot. And now I started this podcast, you know, since. So That's cool. That, yeah. from your, your perspective is how the business from when you watch the 80s to now is, yeah. do you, are there things that you like and things you don't like about the business compared to back in the 80s? There's a lot. I mean, <laughs> you know, I uh, there's a lot that I don't particularly care for. A lot of my stuff ends up like on fast forward mode. You know what I mean? Uh, and then I, I I sit there and I will watch certain things, certain guys that I really like a lot. Um, it's just a completely different thing. I just had uh, a very good conversation with one of my friends who's a referee locally here, and uh, about how it's just a lot of the stuff we watch is we just go back to the eighties and seventies from when we grew up and putting stuff on, you know, it's a lot of YouTube and, and streaming networks of all the old stuff. Yeah. And uh, there's a, I don't know if you heard of power town toys is getting ready to launch a whole line of eighties wrestlers. Steve Rosenthal, uh, the guy that created the evil Knievel. If you go okay. online on YouTube, just look up power town toys, but the first six wrestlers are Magnum TA, Greg Ganya. Uh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. What uh, I know exactly what Bruce you're Brody. saying. Yep, Bruiser Brody. Yeah, well, he's um, got a contract, and he needs the, the word is they're going to include some of us guys at our level because of that year. Really? And television was so great. He, that's his enthusiasm. He said to me that was when he was a, he was in, with Hasbro when they launched the first little mini toys, and he said to me. That's the greatest era of wrestling. That was when storytelling was happening, yeah. 70s and 80s. And he said, so we're, we're trying to capture those guys from that period who never had a chance to have any kind of action figures because toys didn't really get launched until like the 90s. He said, it's a shame. Yeah. So he wants to capture that whole thing. So he's got like 200 wrestlers signed the contracts. Oh, that's awesome. li licensing rights to do action figures and other merchandising things. So to, to your point, I think everybody, I'll, I'll watch old matches on YouTube stuff and it's it's just there's nothing like it compared to today i'm not knocking yep. the guys in the business now but it's just no. a, such a different animal they're tremendous athletes today uh you know a lot of them some of the stuff i don't uh, uh necessarily agree with uh, you know some of the stunts or the danger that they put themselves in such as going through tables and light tubes and certain things like that you know more of an old school fan where i like to sit there and watch a traditional wrestling match yeah, we were taught, you know, the, 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 a lot of people call it boring, but Gene Anderson is a heel. You know, they work a body part for 45 minutes in a match. 
<laughs> you'll get a big comeback. You bet, you know, but the fans would think they're like ripping your arm off the whole time. And, you know, the baby face is sold. And I've, one of the first few matches I went to with Nelson just to watch while we were in training, the Rock and Roll Express to me were the top baby faces. I saw grown women crying, thinking these guys are actually getting killed. It just the emotions that come out of that money, just the way they sold and the way then when they came back, it was just this huge pop. I mean, yeah. that's, that was that's what's lost to me is just the, getting the emotional part of the crowd engaged into the story, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are some times that this does happen, like, you know, I'll be an independent show here in Connecticut, and there's certain fans that just really get wrapped into it and literally will yell at the heels like it was back in the old days. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of enjoyable when people get wrapped up in it, and we have to tell them, hey, guys, calm down a little bit, <laughs> you know, or well, the, that's, the that's, fans, that's, you know. To me, that's a good heel because Ole Anderson, was uh, he got stabbed here in Greenville, South Carolina. Really? Uh, as a heel, some guy through the crowd stuck him with a knife. I mean, obviously, it wasn't enough to kill him, but it was. It just made everybody realize that they got that's real heat. And if people were cheering him on, he'd cuss him. I don't like you. You better not like me. You know, just bully to him. Just living out his gimmick, basically. I don't want you to like me. My point is to get you to hate me. Yeah. There's always those kids that love bad guys, anyway. But I'm one of them. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. I always was. But now, as a as an adult, I. I like who I like, you know, I think once I, once I was into wrestling for about a good four or five years and I just started to, it wasn't me just liking baby faces. It was like, I would like whoever I thought was very good wrestler. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so it just turned into me just liking certain guys. That's it. It wasn't what didn't matter whether they, you know, if they were a really good heel, I'd probably like them a lot. You know, uh, one of my first, when I realized that say somebody was like ravishing Rick rude was a great wrestler. I just sat there one day and I was like, damn, that guy is really good. <laughs> you know, and it just it just clicked from there on, uh, you know, that I don't necessarily have to like the Hulk Hogan's of the world. You know, I could like whoever the hell I want in a way. Part of the language. So, yeah. 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 Rick Rude was, uh, he was, he was, a, he was a wild man. He was super strong too. He yeah. did uh, arm wrestling contests, but you know, it turns out that Rude, Henning, Nikita, Animal, they were all from Minnesota. They're all buddies, and all from a close knit part. I mean, Ric Flair, Minnesota, all close together. And uh, I remember we were in Toronto. I was doing one of the first uh, house shows for WWF. I wrestled Coco Beware, and then Iron Mike Sharp on that tour. Um, Lady Poffo got hurt. That's when I got a break. I started doing house shows, and that's when they I got some real opportunities to show the the office that I could actually work. Um, right. We were in Toronto, and afterwards, we stayed at the Howard Johnson up there. That was back in the day. They had the big bar down there, and so we're, yeah. I'm the young guy. I'm following all those superstars, just hanging around near. I'm like, I'm with them. And, uh, <laughs> some guy came up to him, was uh, talking smack. You guys think you're all this and that, big muscles. And he, Rick Rude, smoked when he did drugs, and he, he standing right in front of that guy, and they're, they're all sitting on bar stools with the bartenders behind him, and he took a big drag of cigarette. And he just looked at him and blew smoke real hard into his face. As soon as that guy closed his eyes, he grabbed him by the neck and just choked him out with one hand and dropped him. And he pointed at his friends, who's next? They all went, and I, was, I was rooming with boss man. He goes, Tommy, it's time for us to get out of here. <laughs> uh, you just mentioned Iron Mike Sharp. What was it like working with uh, with him? I think that he is uh, 
he's a legend in the business. You know, he had a really great time. He was, he wrestled Bob Backlund at the garden, you know, uh, for yep, the yep, title sure back did. in his, when his, I think uh, a lot of people missed, missed that back then. Yeah. And I, I didn't really know much about him until I started uh, working for the company, but, uh, he just a very ritualistic, if you will. Um, he, before he went in a match, he'd shower, he put baby oil all over him. He'd sit there and do squats working out trying to get ready for the match and there's a televised match from uh maple leaf gardens that i had with him i was on a tour i just told you about and um it was probably like eight or ten minutes but he was he was that heel you know he, he did that and he always had the leather wrist thing so he acted like he loaded he like take something out and that's what he did to finish on me you know the screw but people hated that guy too yeah man uh i saw him wrestle jimmy snooker at a fair Right here in uh, in Wallingford, Connecticut, in this town that I live in now, and it was always um, I thought it was awesome to see him in person at like at, on like such a level, like an independent level, as opposed to I grew up watching him in, in on TV. You know what I mean? The WWF and seeing him in the old New Haven Coliseum, uh, uh, it was just awesome because everybody would just walk right up to the ring at the end of the night and talk to a lot of the wrestlers. So it was like he actually was a very nice guy. And he know? was. I didn't, most people don't realize I didn't tell I stood next to him. He was a big man. Yes. And I had to do a full Nelson on or get him from behind. I couldn't barely get my hands on it. I laugh when I watched the video of it, but you can see my hands not really touching. And he's just going, he's just slowly, but he breaks it away. He's just so big. I mean, you couldn't really get your arms around that guy. It's so massive. Yeah, but- <laughs> it's on YouTube. You'll laugh if you see it. I mean, he's just. Yeah. I actually came across it uh, yesterday because I read an article on you. Uh, uh, that uh, on Slam, if in there, oh, yeah, there, was a, yeah, yeah. there was a video clip on there uh, of that, so I got the chance to watch a little bit of it. Um, yeah, man, uh, he had huge shoulders. Yeah, he's this is a big dude, and this, this is a, the the back end of his career, and he's still in great shape. I mean, yeah, it was a surprise when he he died. I was surprised. He's Woodbridge, New Jersey, and I was living. I grew up in Woodbridge, Virginia. So when he, we started talking, we thought we were from the same town, and after we, the more we talk, like no, 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 we're in different states. It's kind of funny that you said it because I said I, you know, I grew up in New Haven, but I li- lived in the suburb of it, which was called Woodbridge, Connecticut. No way! So, I swear to God. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of funny that, yeah. that you mentioned that. And uh, at one time, Doctor D. David Schultz was a resident of Woodbridge, Connecticut, as well. So growing up, yep. Yeah, so that was a that was one of the things that I remember as a kid. They always had pictures of him hanging in the local gas station because they knew him very well. <laughs> so you know, it was awesome growing up he there. Was, he was a big name back then. Yeah, yeah. This was probably like eighty six, eighty seven. Probably after he left WWF, I think. He, yeah. But he still lived there. You know. Yeah. So he ended up going back to WCW. I guess what uh, was it like ninety one ish? About that. Yeah. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. And if- my hair was starting to fall out, so I cut the mullet off and just kind of changed the look. I grew a goatee, and they, they, they wanted to say, well, well, we'll try your uh, more of a heel match on TV and house shows. And yeah. at that point, people, like you said, they either like you or don't. It doesn't matter if you're heel or babyface. And I right. wasn't really – that. I don't think I was a good heel. I just – that's not my personality. But, you know, I'd go out there and try. But um, went back, and it's just from, from that point all the way to 94 – um i just the, the business was trending down it just wasn't as fun to me anymore i was, mm-hmm. I was uh in 94 i was 31 and it just you know I, my last show was in the, the last tour was in dominican republic and i had to work hacksaw 
down there and snooker was on the car barbarian and i just didn't have any fun at all and i just thought you know what i just i gotta do something with my life and my, my father had committed suicide in 94 and that's why I, I decided to leave completely because he was he always told me you can do so much more with your life i'm like dude i'm on television dad i mean i got girlfriends and he was he says that's not important you know it's 15 minutes of fame you know you got to do something with your life and i just did some soul searching and i just i called both offices i said you know i appreciate all the opportunities i've had over the years but uh i'm done and i said you sure i said yep yeah. i said uh thank you very much it was very underwhelming but it was just and i went to radio business yeah i want to ask you about that uh i heard that you were i guess a classic rock dj for quite some time yeah i went to a local broadcasting school it's kind of like the nelson royal era you know, we had to go to wrestling school. I went to a local broadcasting school, and then um, some timing has been the, the blessing in my life. I went out of that school, and the, the local rock station was doing a promotion at the bar. I was bouncing with my buddy's bar, and I was working the front, and they all came in. We're with the radio station, you know, we, we're VIP. I'm like, whatever, I still got to check your ID. <laughs> and the program director was standing there. I said, dude, I want. I mean, this broadcast is called, I want to get an internship. Yeah, yeah, here's my card. Call me Monday. And I call him Monday. He's like, who is this? I said, you gave me your card. And, and he, so I went down there and talked to him and I think he put me on as an intern. But John Boy and Billy is the, the morning show in Charlotte. That's They were syndicated on over 150 affiliates. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was the monster flamethrower morning show. And right. Tommy got a part-time job out of the internship to a full-time job within about a year and i was with them for 15 years but just the as the, the entertainment business on a different level you know john boy and billy was is uh big down in the south but they had all the nascar drivers that based out of charlotte they had a-list celebrities on their show so it was just it was it was a, a great segue for me to transition but without doing the bumps so, right but I also, right. as a promotions director, I also did a weekend shift. But the, the funny part is that when I went to talk to the program director, Tom, we're going to use the, got to get your radio name. What do, you, what do you think? I said, well, I've been on television for a few years. And this area is Tommy Angel. He goes, sounds gay, Tom. I don't think we're going to do it. <laughs> and he never watched wrestling. So, yeah, I never talked about it after that. And then we're just recently, he's like, dude. You never told me you like really wrestled. Like, yeah, I did. You just didn't listen. <laughs> so my radio name was Tommy Lee, <clears throat> but that was a lot of fun. You know, just playing rock tunes on the weekends and yeah, classic rock that really rocks. I did have a radio show myself as well, like a, oh, cool. kind of like a college radio station, sort of uh, freeform radio. And I got to tell you, man, it's uh, it just ended up when my partner, who actually had the link to the radio station, left, moved to California because. Uh, his musical opportunities, uh, the thing just basically uh, went out the tubes, and that's how this podcast actually started. Because I was intentioning, in, my intentions were to start a radio show, another radio show on my own, put it on internet radio, and and somehow that's when I I wouldn't say rediscovered wrestling, but I basically kind of started going to a lot of shows locally again and 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 just said i'm just gonna start a wrestling podcast you know and it's been four years so that's awesome (laughs) so i i always um one of my things was i actually played i would spin vinyl you know and this is currently like modern times and uh i'd bring cds i would do it was just a lot of fun to 
be able to play whatever I wanted. You know, it was cool. Um, I'm sure you didn't really have that much freedom. I'm guessing because it was uh, well Saturday night. I could I could deviate. He'd have a playlist based on that. We were number one rock station and the number yeah. one station in the market. But on the weekends, you know, I could pick live versions of the artists. It was a very tight set list, but I'd have some freedom. And he always had his radio on. So if I did did it did something or said something, he'd get in and see the hotline ring and like. <laughs> yes, sir. Time we got to talk. <laughs> but it was just, it's fun because it, uh, my favorite part was people calling in, just talking to people. Yeah. Uh, radio is fun. It's just, you know, it's something, uh, it's just very fun. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, it's just playing tunes, uh, uh, interacting with people and, and hey, such. And they, and they pay you. That's the icing on the cake. <laughs> There's that too, you know. I grew up. Uh, I met my wife is uh, in the radio business. And she she stayed longer. I did 15 years. She did probably 25, and she did five years in TV, and just really? finally got burned out. But she saw pic- pictures of me. I started dating her after wrestling. And I showed her pictures. She's like, "Ooh, I would have never dated you back then." She didn't like the hair. <laughs> no, the mullet was not not her thing. <laughs> I mean, it was it was the, the hair, the, you know, the style at the, of the time. That's what I told her. Yeah, that was cool back then. Uh, my my son he lives in Ohio now, but he was like, uh, "Dad, I'm gonna get a haircut, right?" Because I guess it, uh, he lives with his my, his mom. And one of the things he said, "I think I'm gonna get a mullet." I said, "Dude, the hair's been out of style for like 30 years, more than 30 years. I don't think you want to do that." But it's funny that that style has come back somewhat. A lot of people it wearing it, so it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy. So, what are you up to today? I'm in the beer business right now. Um, really? I just. Uh, when I got out of the radio business, it was right when my wife was pregnant with our son. It was mm-hmm. uh, same thing with the radio business. It was um, I, I reached the end of I wasn't having fun. The kid they brought in to be my boss was uh, I say kid. He was young, much younger than I was, but my salary was greater than his. Mm-hmm. This is when corporate radio just started buying up all the properties. Right. I thought, man, my days are numbered. I'm going to leave on my terms. So I. Uh, just said I resigned and I found a position. I've been volunteering Big Brothers Big Sisters as a, as a big brother, and they had a position opening for a vice president of partnership development, basically getting trying to get grants and partnerships with corporate community and raise money and connect them in that way. And man, it was that was probably the most fulfilling thing I ever did in my life. But 2008, the economy collapsed. Right. It was like a slow moving train, so we had to keep our caseworkers. Those are the important people. They they match the children with mentors. So my my position was the least important at that time. And I, I had to make a decision. I said, look, my, let's eliminate mine. But I was out of work for, gosh, 18 months. I couldn't get a job to save my life on my resume. I couldn't get a call back. And uh, one day my, I ran across an old friend. He said, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm looking for work. He was in the beer business. He said, we have a position as a swing guy. I said, I don't know what it is, but I want it. I went down and filled the application and got it. And it was just basically a sales trainee and selling beer is the easiest thing you get it, the products sell themselves and it's, i've been i've been in it for almost 15 years i'm hoping to retire in a couple of years from work itself but uh i've i mean it's i can't believe they pay me it's just it's the easiest business right now i'm a category manager space planning so when you walk into a grocery store or convenience store you see all the products on shelves I create the planograms. It's kind of a picture of how things are supposed to be set. And it's, it's based on analytics of the sales. And if you told me back in high school that beer and math actually go together, I would have tried harder. <laughs> but it's, 
it's crazy. But, uh, you know, you go to a grocery store chain and you say, these products go here because this, this, and this. And I'm like, okay. So you just, I sit at my desk and play with the software planogram with putting all the products where they are, listen to music or, or podcasts and have to yeah. check yours out and listen to it while I'm working. Yeah. Uh, do you, are you a beer drinker yourself? I am. Yeah. Same here. I love beer and I like trying new beers, experimenting with new beers. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, it's just really good to just try it because there's so many great, like, beers out there now i mean i know ipas are really popular now and it took That's me probably the strongest style yeah yeah it took me years to actually appreciate it uh, so i tried one like last year and then it's pretty much became like my uh uh one of my favorite styles of beer i guess you could say you know i've gone through phases as to what i've uh, liked over the years but uh for some reason once i tried that i, I always felt that they were bitter and too too crazy tasting and stuff and then the, there was just this one particular one that really got me so i liked it a lot the brands is up there in your, your area the strong yeah there's uh we have a local brewery outside of my not outside of my job but like 10 minutes from my job called counterweight um in cheshire connecticut and uh, they make this one called Crucial Mass, which is just, uh, it's become my favorite, really. It's uh, its a double IPA. So oh, really? other than so that. Probably yeah. 9% ABV, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had uh, ones that were stronger. I've had tried triples. There's one that's like kind of uh, out of Hartford, a heart beast. That's, uh, that was a triple IPA and literally had two of them. And I was like, whoa. You know, it's like sometimes they, the stronger they are, they hit you a little bit earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. They're. It'll blow you out. Yeah, we uh, we I came down to Greenville uh, almost twelve years ago to help my friend rebrand re the wholesaler. We have an Anheuser Busch. We're an Anheuser Busch wholesaler. We have an equity okay. brand, but our portfolio goes. We we do craft beers. Uh, we do waters, wines, juices. We now start selling liquor, and we sell right. about six million cases a year. But uh, this we had a local brewery too. This guy right here. Brewery 85 is here in okay. Greenville, South Carolina. And he's, he actually was a, a independent worker and did a lot of local shows. And we went to a meeting uh, one time with him and uh, I'm sitting there and I had his hat on and I'm sitting there and I, you can always tell when someone's looking at you, like you're uncomfortable. You feel like, it. Just, you're staring at me. It's kind of weird. So after the meeting was over, I looked over, he goes, Hey, Tommy, did you ever wrestle? I'm like, what? Get out of here. He goes, did you wrestle? I go, yeah. He goes, I thought that was you. And he's, blah, 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 blah. you know, Tommy Angel, Tommy Angel. He's, I used to wrestle, but he's a great guy. But he's he's got the brewing tanks in his in his local brewery, and he's got the big fat head of Ric Flair, Macho Man. He's got Ninja Turtles. He goes, it's good luck to name your tank. So this one's the Flair, that one's Macho, and he's got Raphael, Leonardo, and yeah, the other the turtles. turtles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's he's got some great local beers, and uh, but our our. Anheuser Bush bought Wicked Weed. That's big in the South. I know they're trying to get the brand to go up north. We've got uh, Bells, which is out of Michigan. We've got uh, New Belgium, which is out of Colorado now in North Carolina. So we've got mm -hmm. a Stone out of San Diego, California. But on any given day, we probably have about 517,000, 520,000 cases on the floor. And if we didn't get a delivery, for 18 days, all that would be sold out. That's how much, that's how fast we were like 500,000 wow. cases a month. It just, and it's Joe Biden proof. You can't, I don't care how bad the economy is. People still want their beer. Yes. Yes. That's one thing. Uh, I make sure I have a fridge in this office. I always make sure that it's uh, filled full rather full. So, you know, 
Everybody wants. I it. could tell you were sophisticated, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else you want to throw out there? Actually, you know, I never asked you about uh, working Smoky Mountain. So, if you uh, if you have an extra, that's minute the one that Cornette uh, had hooked us yeah. up with, and uh, that yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, gosh, we had that one guy. I just saw a match I had with him. He used to carry around the big chicken bone or some kind of big bone. Is that the Moon Dog? Yeah, yeah, Moon Dog. He's yeah. hilarious. Said the work him. He's yeah. kind of like a Jimmy Redneck, Jimmy Valiant. He did yeah. All yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, that. that was fun. That was a, a Tim Horner was on that with us. Brad Armstrong. Yeah. Uh, I think all the Armstrongs were there. Bob, uh, Bullet Bob and, and yeah. uh, I think Road Dog before he was Road Dog, whatever was there. Yes, and uh, yeah, I think they were all there. They were in uh, yeah. just. Just a, a, a fun atmosphere. The the crowd was great because it was a lot of obviously through uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and um, I don't remember doing a whole lot of shows. I, I know I wrestled the key to call off one time there, and he actually gave me a pretty good match. Him and I are, are really good friends. And Lex Luger, um, they have a um, that's the joke in the wrestling business from back then: you either die or you find Christ. And um, Nick was always a good guy to me and kind of mentored me as as his wife had died of yeah. lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma, probably around 80, 89. He I retired was, in 93, into 93 as yeah. a millionaire. And then I walked away from the business as a thousandaire. But <laughs> we both, our paths kind of went the same way. And, you know, following Jesus and him and Lex run a thing called Man Camp twice a year. Mm-hmm. And it's a five day event for men. It will absolutely transform your life. So right. I, I help him with guys and for my church to try to go there. And it's, it's life changing and people from all over the country. Some guys came over from United Kingdom, but man camp, look it up. Nikita Koloff and um, Lex Luger. I follow, uh, I follow Nikita and Lex on uh, Twitter and I see them post a lot. Uh, Nikita's very, especially puts it out there on Twitter quite a bit, you know, and I believe that he, did he write a book of some sort? Uh, uh Maybe I'm mistaken, but I, I believe that he does push out his his you know his faith on on Twitter, which I he does you know, he does yeah. he's actually an ordained minister and yes him and Lex both of you know are strong Christians background yeah. faith in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ and that's I tell you it's it's what changed my life because uh, we saw I saw that was one of the reasons I left in '94 too. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, nope, you're, I, you're still there. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> I forgot what I said. It threw me off because your screen went blank. Nope. Threw it. Yeah. Throw in the uh, 94. Yeah. You there? Uh oh. No. Tommy, you there? Damn. It won't happen to me. Okay. uh, There you go. All right. And then um, after Brian Pillman, Kurt Henning was the one that hit me hard. Because he mm-hmm. always told me, kid, keep your head on straight. You know, he was he was a, one of the, my mentors too. He always said, "Look, you know, you got talent. Just hang in there, but don't don't do all the stupid stuff." Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he had he. I remember he said, "Man, I got a house show coming up." He'd already kind of walked away from the business overall. Got five kids. You know, so I'm doing a double shot down in Florida. Said, you know, make some money and get home. And he died of an overdose in a hotel room down there. And that just wow. that crushed me. I was like, man. So there's more to life than the the business itself because people get sucked in and, um, you know, a lot of these guys, Brian Pillman, you know, he just 
same thing. Just between the, the drugs, the, the steroids, they create enlarged hearts. Yeah. You're doing recreational drugs, your heart can't keep up with all that. And it's just so, but don't have much to show for it, but it was a great time in my life. Right. Um, is there anything that you want to throw out there? Or do you want to let anybody know how they can get in touch with Tommy Angel? Well, there's a Facebook page that I didn't create that's out there, and I won't get any messages really? on that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Tom Baird Jr. at yahoo.com. It's all lowercase T O M B A R R E T T J R at yahoo.com. I still get people that find me somehow and send me stuff to autograph. I'm, I'm uh, happy to. Uh, sign it, send it back, you know, if, as long as they include a postage. Right. There's stuff to send it back, I'll do it. But it's just, to me, if people remember me from that far long ago, it was only eight years of my life, you know, it's 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 humbling and it's uh, nice to remember, you know, those memories and sign stuff for people. So I want to thank you for coming on here uh, very much. I had a really great time talking to you. So I did too, Rick. Thank you for having me.